morning. Oh, it's been a little while since I've been up here, so getting used to it again. Got my notes. We're all good. Right. Uh, this morning we're going to be in John 21. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles there, feel very free. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 14. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was the, now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, about, about six years ago, I decided that I had to like running. Um, I was wrong, I don't like running, it's horrible. Um, but I decided that was the kind of thing I had to do. So, we lived in Greystones at the time and I would, uh, I'd put on my running shoes, I'd put on my joggers, I would go for a run. As I was running through Encliffe Park, um, in between the kind of the sweat and the, the blurry vision and fainting, um, I, I noticed something, someone running towards me. And just at a distance, I suddenly think, I know this person. There is something familiar about this person, but I don't know who they are. I can't, I can't remember. And so, you know, panting, got a little bit closer, and this person was running towards me, and we both had that kind of quizzical expression you have when you, you know somebody, but, but you just, you can't figure out who they are. They're maybe an out-of-context face, you know, someone you know from another walk of life, and then uh, here they are running through your local park. And we ran past one another, gave each other the runner's nod, um, hers was more composed than mine <laughs> um, and then I kept going past and we both kind of you kind of slowed and looked back because the recognition hit I realized that this was someone who'd been in my class at school um, which was 200 miles away and 10 years ago 
And so no wonder I was struggling to recognize them, but, but they looked pretty much exactly the same, to be honest, uh, and I managed to recognize them. I then, I then realized that actually their challenge recognizing me was much more difficult of my challenge recognizing them because, and this is where I hope my slides work, with picture number one, that is what I looked like in school. <laughs> so, uh, there'd been a significant hairy physical change uh, between in that 10 year gap. And so that was obviously their challenge. In this passage, the disciples face a more profound but similar issue. Physically, thank goodness that's gone, uh, physically, they, um, they, they couldn't recognize Jesus. So post-resurrection, after Jesus had died and been raised to life, what we see in the scripture is that people don't clock Jesus by going, oh yeah, it looks like him. Actually, we see on the road to Emmaus, two disciples have a, a long walk with Jesus, where Jesus is talking to them for the whole time, and they don't recognize him until the end. Um, in John, we, we've had two instances where Jesus kind of pops up in the middle of a room uh, and surprises everyone. And here we have it that actually throughout the whole, the whole of this, this, this passage, this story, we, we see the disciples physically don't recognize Jesus. So what we, what we do see is the other ways that the disciples use to recognize who he is. Because by the end, they're incredibly confident it's Jesus. When it says, you know, they dare not ask who Jesus is, not because they're scared of him. It's that, it's that sense of, you know, it's rude to ask. Because it's so obvious who it is. So we're going to look at three different ways that the disciples have recognized Jesus. And the first one we're going to look at is recognizing Jesus in the provision. So Peter's taken the blokes fishing. They've, they've been sat around in Galilee, and I get the impression Peter isn't the kind of person to just sit and read a book. I think he's fidgety, and he goes, I'm going fishing. I need something to do. And um, it's not entirely random that this is what he chooses. Obviously, Fishing was, was Peter's previous profession. A few of the other disciples, they, they knew what they were doing fishing-wise. So the reason they went fishing at night is actually that it's a good time to fish at night. You get your boat, you get your lanterns, the fish come to the lanterns, you cast your net, you catch the fish, theoretically. Um, so the disciples, they knew what they were doing in fishing. I've got, you get this feeling they didn't really know what they were doing in life. They, they were still waiting for some clear instruction as to what to do. They're kind of hanging about, so they thought, you know, let's, let's kill a bit of time. Let's go fishing. We're going to catch some fish, hopefully. You know, it'll get a bit of income. It'll give us a bit of breakfast. It's, you know, it's something to do. Um, but then, obviously, best laid plans. They go fishing all night, and they catch nothing. Um, they've got a bit of history, to be fair, doing this. And so... Put yourself in the disciples' mindset of, you've worked hard all night, you're, you're tired, you've caught nothing, and then some bloke on the shore is like, all right, lads, got anything? Uh, very dejected, no, no, we don't. With, uh, um, if it was me, I'd be, I'd be quite grumpy, I think. And then, all of a sudden, 
this bloke they don't recognize on the shore goes, have you tried that side of the boat? Try to throw it on the other side. And they do. And they catch so many fish that actually they're struggling to lift up the net. They've gone from all night just pulling in this net to suddenly like, we can't do it. There's a, a generosity of provision that makes John go, it is the Lord. It's when they've caught so many fish that it just triggers John. John then says to Peter, you know, it is the Lord. Peter runs out for Jesus. But it is the generosity of Jesus' provision that makes them recognize him. Because if they'd thrown the net out and got an average amount of fish, you know, they easily pulled them in. It, it's more than what they'd caught all night. They get a few large fish that are going, cheers, mate. Thanks for the advice. You know, that, that's it. It wouldn't have triggered in them that sense of this is Jesus, this is the Lord. But actually, they've caught so many fish that they're struggling to bring it in. And, you know, a bit like a 90s wrestler, this is a Jesus signature move. Generosity of provision. We saw it in the feeding of the 5,000. There, you know, Jesus takes a boy's lunch and ends up feeding, you know, 5,000 up to 15,000 people and then they get 12 baskets left over. It's such abundant provision that it makes them kind of go, oh yeah, this is who it is. I always feel as well, there's a sense of, of Jesus just teaching his disciples in this. This is, a bit of a spoiler for next week, I guess, but, but this, is, this, this happens before Jesus reinstates Peter in John, before the disciples have a mission or something to do. I feel Jesus is, you see, sense Jesus is just trying to teach them, like, who's in charge? You know, you know what you're doing with fishing, and yet you've caught nothing, but, but Jesus shows up and all of a sudden, the, the, the provision is so abundant that, you know, they're looked after. They know. And interesting, I've, I've in my notes just what, what Keris read earlier from Luke 12. Um, verses 22 to 24, I said, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow a reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? There's that sense of Jesus providing. There's that sense of not needing to worry. He's kind of setting down a statement before they go out into the world that, that Jesus is providing. But it's not that, you know, Jesus' generous provision doesn't mean that the disciples then live a life of lavish wealth. Generous provision from Christ isn't, isn't like health, wealth, and prosperity. It wasn't Bugatti chariots and Versace togas for the disciples from that point on. It was very much a life of depending upon God. They were persecuted. They suffered. But... They knew God with them. And, and ultimately, actually, Christ's provision for us is, is salvation. His generous provision is, is shown on the cross where we who are divided and apart from God are brought close. 
Not just for a little bit, but, but for forever. We are, we are co-heirs. We, we inherit what Christ deserves because of his generous provision for us. So that's, that's the first way the disciples recognize Jesus. Now, the second way the disciples recognize Jesus in this instance is, is in the miraculous. This is a miraculous event. Um, and it's not, um, it's not the first time that Jesus does something similar to this. If we, if we again look at, we'll look at Luke 5, and we'll read from verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. We'll leave it there. There's a, there's a similarity to the event we, you see in John and, and this moment in Luke. But there's obvious differences. Um, for instance, the, the integrity of the net being one of them. Um, but this kind of miraculous occurrence, this kind of miracle, it, it's again, it's like another Jesus signature move. Jesus is, is performing a miracle that means something to the disciples. It's affecting them in their everyday life. Um, and we, I think we see it because in, in John, John includes what I like to call the fisherman's details. John knows what he is talking about when it comes to fishing. So the details like 153 large fish and an unbroken net. For people who aren't fishermen, this isn't, this isn't a thing. Like, you know, why, why would we care? Does, is that miraculous or is that just you know, the normal capacity of a fishing net? Um, but these fishermen's details, they provide context that show the, kind of the magnitude of an event. For an example, hopefully we have a photo of me fishing. So, last year I went fishing for a weekend. This is my best ever catch. It is tiny. Uh, frankly, you can hold it in two hands. It's a carp. I was thrilled. Um, because every year, me and a friend from school, we go fishing. In the last three years, we've went, year one, I caught nothing. Year two, I caught things about this big. Year three, that monster. Okay, I, I was chuffed with my little carp. And so the following weekend, I came to church and I was talking to my Filipino friend. And I said, I was fishing last week and I caught a fish. Um, and it was a big fish. And he starts talking about fishing. He's like, I love fishing. He's like, back home, we'd, we'd set off in the morning before the sun comes up and we'll leave our tropical island 
We'll set out on a boat, we'll go over the breakers, head out to sea, so you can just see the islands in the distance, the sun beating down, the crystal clear sea, uh, and then we'd catch these huge fish. We'll wrestle them for hours, bringing them in onto the boat. And then after battling these fish in the tropical heat, we'd go and we'd light this fire on the beach. They'd cook, they'd cook the fish and eat for lunch, and I'm there with my phone out ready to show him that. Uh, fish and okay, just put that back. Oh yeah, it was nothing. Didn't really catch much because, in the context, in comparison to my friend, my Filipino friend who'd braved the high seas to catch monsters which fed family for a week, I'd caught a tiddler. I'd, I'd sat next to a muddy puddle in North Yorkshire, throwing maggots into a pond, and I was thrilled with that. When, by comparison, my catch was nothing. It, it, you know, he'd have thrown it back. Um, I did, by the way, I did throw it back. No fish were harmed uh, in the making of this sermon. But um, when I then spoke to my friend who was used to British fishing, and I showed him that, there was excitement. He, he knew what it was to catch a fish like I knew the thrill of it and, and the enjoyment. He, he rejoiced with me at the carp. And so the fisherman details gave it the context. It was a muddy puddle in North Yorkshire. A fish that size was actually an achievement. Compare that to the Filipino fishing, nah. And so it's the same here in John, actually. If we'd said to a Scottish trawlerman, you know, we've caught 153 large fish in a net, he'd be like, what, what, what's 153 large fish? But, but for John, highlighting 153 large fish, the net doesn't break. It's telling us that that Jesus has performed a miracle. All the other Galilean fishermen hearing that would be like, whoa, your net didn't break. How did that happen? It's a miracle. It is is those details that allow us to see that Jesus is working the miraculous. But I think it's also that that sense of an, it's an everyday miracle. You know, if, if this was, perform to somebody who wasn't a fisherman, would they really see it as much of a miracle? Would they really see, you know, would they care? But actually, Jesus knows his disciples. He knows those who are following him. He knows that this miracle means something to them. They recognized him through it. They'd know he'd done previous. And it was like, this, this is the Lord. Now, the other way, the final way that the disciples recognize Jesus is that they, they recognize Jesus' care. They recognize Jesus' love for them. You see, this is, in the Gospel of John, this is the third time that Jesus appears to the disciples. And in the previous two occasions, in chapter in chapter 20, there's not really been much chat. You get that feeling. In, um, Jesus appears to the disciples. In chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And later on, Jesus appears among them again. 
you kind of got to feel there's a bit of an elephant in the room at this point, or on the beach. Um, That sense that the disciples had betrayed Jesus. Peter, um, Peter had betrayed Jesus three times before the cock crowed. The disciples are still living under that shadow of Jesus died and we abandoned him. And yeah, Jesus is alive again. But kind of, what do we do about this? It's a little bit awkward. Um, and, and Jesus doesn't respond. Certainly, he doesn't respond how I would respond. Because if that was me, I'd be like, and for you, you betraying me, this is what you need to do. Jesus didn't do any of that. What Jesus does is he, he cooks them a barbecue breakfast. You know, the people, his closest friends who betrayed him. Jesus gets some fish, he gets some bread, he's cooking on a fire, and he's like, come and join me. And it just, I find it absolutely mind-blowing that God himself cooked them breakfast. The, the incarnate Lord himself. Have some fish, have some bread, I've, you know, I've just rustled it up for you. That is... It's just the greatness of God. And I mean, Jesus, Jesus can do this with the disciples. He does this because his care for them and for us took him to the cross. Jesus' death that reconciles us to God means that Jesus can sit with his disciples and draw them in. He can call to them friends when they're out fishing. In Romans 5, it says actually while we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us. There is, there is nobody who is too far away. And those disciples were not too far away to be reconciled. Jesus, Jesus cares for them to the extent he wants them to feel welcomed in. Before he even says anything, before he says and reinstates Peter, before he gives him a task, he wants them comfortable. He wants them fed. You know, they've had a long night. He's looking after them. Jesus is caring for them. It is, it is through his great grace, it is through faith in him that, that they are saved, that they are rescued. And so they didn't, they didn't have to ask, who are you? Because they knew that they saw in, in his generous provision, they saw, in, they saw in his care for them, and they saw in the miraculous, Jesus' signature moves. All of these things are screaming, it is Jesus. He might not look the same, but it's him. He's doing everything Jesus did. It's blatantly Jesus. And so for us, looking through this passage, there is for us a, a response. To, I think there's a learning from the disciples because we're in a slightly different position. Um, even though Jesus looked physically different, he was still there with them. We don't have a physical Jesus to look at anymore. He he is ascended, but we do have his spirit with us. And so I just I feel that actually these pointers 
help us? We can learn from it in, in how we see God in our lives. And so firstly, I feel we need to see God in, in his provision for us. I think in the same way that, that Jesus was kind of showing the disciples that you might be expert fishermen, but I'm in charge of the fish. You know, I'm in charge of everything. For us, we need to recognize God's provision and the fact that he is absolutely in charge of every little thing. He's in charge of, of when, we're at, when we're at work. He's in charge of our children. He's in charge of our lives, our homes. Whatever happens, Jesus is, is fully in charge and so we can expect him to provide for us. In fact, he, he promises that he will. And actually, I think when, we, when, we, when we're grateful, when we're looking for how God's providing for us, when we're thankful for it, we begin to see more and more what God's doing. And God can really surprise us in how he provides. Um, just just for, for Linz and I, quite a few years ago, someone had put a, a, a sizable amount of money for us in the opportunity to give. And, um, and at that time, there wasn't a financial crisis going on in our household. We weren't thinking, oh gosh, this, is, this has come at the perfect time because you know, everything's broken down. It came and we went, wow, why, why has God gifted us this money? And then what happened is everything proceeded to break. Um, and so God had, had generously provided for us before we needed it. I absolutely blew our mind. God knew fully what was going on. It, it was just, it was God kind of saying, I'm completely in charge. It's not that those hard times aren't going to happen, but God had provided for us throughout them. And how, we, how God does it, it, it's not gonna be the same every time, but it brings him worship, brings him glory. I think also as well, what we can learn from the disciples, sometimes we need someone else to point it out. And what we see is, we see that the, the guys have been fishing all night long. Jesus performs this miracle. That, that's pretty similar to what happened in, earlier in Luke to Peter. But Peter isn't the first one to recognize it. It's John who kind of goes, this is Jesus. And that's when Peter responds. Sometimes we, as a body, we need someone else to kind of go, do you, do you not think that's God providing? Do you not think that's God doing what God does? Because sometimes we can be so involved in our worries and our cares in, in life that we can be a bit blind to it. We can, be, we can be bound and caught up and blinded and someone else can just go, but, but look at what God's doing. And that can bring worship and that's part of living in a community. That's part of being church together. And I mean, ultimately for us, the provision of God is in eternity. It's not just about now. The promise is not just for, for this life. We're living for, for something more. As people who believe, we believe that actually we have an eternal destiny that Jesus has secured for us. We believe we're living for more than just, just the transient life now. Death is no longer the end it is, it is a transition it, we're, we're going to be with him and Jesus secured it for us 
And so I think it's also good for us to recognize God in his care. And I love the challenge of of this passage and these verses because I think it challenges how we view God. I think it's so easy to get a wrong image and a wrong view of God. And what what is our personal view of him? Is it like an old bloke? stood just kind of watching the chaos unfold? Is it, is it a legalist lawgiver? Is that our view of God? Is it just some kind of ethereal spirit? Doesn't really do much, but makes me feel nice. Is it God the Father? And my challenge is, if, you know, if your view or your picture of God doesn't include a barbecue breakfast, then we are, you know, we are wrong, scripturally wrong. God, God, draws us in. God cares for us. He provides for us. He knows how we feel. In the same way he knows how those disciples felt, he knew the elephant in the room. And you know what he did? He said, friends, have some breakfast first. You know, fill that stomach. Don't feel so, so bad after a, you know, wasted night not catching anything. While we were still enemies, God loved us. While we are children of God, he loves us. You know, this is, this is the truth of the matter. If you're doubting it, let me tell you, God loves you. Nothing's changing that. And I feel actually for, personally for us, the final challenge is let's recognize the everyday miraculous. Let's Let's see the ways that actually God moves in each of our lives that maybe only you see. You know, the disciples were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And yet they saw the miraculous happening around fish. You know, in your lives, whether it's in your work, whether it's around your children, whether it's around friends, colleagues, whether it's around something you're passionate about, I believe God works in miracles a lot of the time, it's what he does. And not every miracle is like a Mount Carmel experience. It's not boom, fire, and a whole nation is changed. Some miracles are small that maybe only you see and you notice. But the purpose of all of the miracles is to bring glory to God, is to bring our eyes back to him, is to say, it is the Lord, and, and worship him. And so big miracles, hearts healing, you know, smaller everyday things, even, I'd say, that car parking space you prayed for and turned up, you know, praise God. Bring it, bring it back to him. You know, it's, it's borderline miracle, but, you know, it still brings glory to God. And then, actually, finally, I feel, I feel God wants to challenge us as a church. Because... The response to this passage can be, you know, the three points I've just gone through. How do we personally recognize Jesus? But I feel there's a wider challenge, and that is, how does the world recognize Jesus? How does the world, looking for a savior, recognize the risen king? And it's through us. It's through the church. You see, because now Jesus is ascended, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. 
And in the same way that the disciples recognized Jesus through his actions, the world needs to recognize Jesus through his church and through the actions of his church. And so what we do as a people representing Jesus makes a difference. And, and the church is such, it is such a beautiful thing when it is working right. But we've got to be passionate about it as God is passionate about it. We've got to, we've got to love one another. In, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now that, that is real love. This is something that the church has that's unique. It, you know, it's what makes the, diff, the church different from like a group of mates down at the pub. We have real love for one another. And, and real love doesn't mean just rocking up on a Sunday. Nice to see you guys. I'm off home for a week. Real love is, is people who are in one another's lives. Real love is, it's when we know one another's failings and instead of tearing people down, we support them, we build them up, we disciple. Real love is real care across the broad spectrum of what is our society. Young and old, refugee or, or, or you know, normal citizen here is, is something that is different to what the world offers. And why and how do we do that? Actually, it's through the Spirit of God working amongst us as a body that allows us to love in a different way to the world loves. Such a different way that actually the world knows that we are disciples of Jesus because of it. I also, in Luke 4, Jesus stands up and he reads from... He reads from Isaiah 61. He says this in verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We, as the body of Christ, that is our call. Jesus said of himself, this is why I am here. And we as the church, that is why we're here. This is our mission. To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And actually, if, if you read Isaiah 61, it also has to bind up the brokenhearted. This is the call upon the church. And we don't do this out of our own strength. In fact, what we've seen is we've seen, we've seen God providing for the disciples. We see God caring. We see God working miraculously. We as the church don't do this alone. We do it because God is with us. And so the challenge for, for us as a church is how does the world see Jesus through us? You know, are we, are we loving each other? When it's hard, when it's tricky, when people are just a bit awkward or annoying, we love them. In fact, we love them so much that the world notices. 
that the world sees something different and wants to be part of it. We love those who are marginalized because Jesus did. It was a Jesus signature move, another one. And so I just want to I just want to challenge us that we we have faith for what God wants to do amongst us by his spirit. God loves people. He does. He loves all of us, but he loves the world as well. And gosh, the world so needs him. And so I feel God wants to do something amongst us. I feel God, by his spirit, will just help us to love one another, to, to live bravely, to live by faith. And uh, so yeah, I'm going to pray for that.